Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to the Heredity Podcast. This month I'll be discussing the evolutionary rates of island colonizing tiger snakes and how inbreeding interferes with the heat shock response in a tropical butterfly, as always with the authors behind the papers. When animals colonize islands, strange things can happen to their body size, often very rapidly. Namely, they become much larger or much smaller than their mainland counterparts. Why this happens has been put down to various factors about their founding populations and the selective pressures in their new habitats, but there's also some debate about the initial evolutionary stages of island colonisation and the role played by something called phenotypic plasticity, which we'll hear about in just a minute. Fabian Aubrett from the CNRS in France studied populations of tiger snakes across southern Australia. These snakes make for a great model system for studying questions of island biogeography, as historical sea level rise and human introduction has seen them spread across numerous islands at various points in history. Here's Fabian. Well, there was this very old concept called the island rule, where some authors so that some animals that were isolated on islands either became giant or dwarfs. But there was tons of theories that popped out of their brains over the last 100 years or so. In some instances, the rule worked, but it didn't for all species. And it has been um, challenged recently. And so I was just trying to add my bit onto um, these theories. And I think the main thing was all these uh, studies dealt with adult animals. And I was actually the first one to look at babies. And I think looking at babies is very important because that's where selections are to act in the first place before the actual animals get to become adults and start reproducing. Okay, so we haven't yet got a unified theory of body size evolution in island colonizers. But generally, though, what is it about moving to an island that's thought to affect body size? The distance of the island to the mainland, uh, the size of the population would also um, be important because of genetic drift. For example, if only small animals get to get to this island, then obviously um, they're going to produce small animals as well. So that's got nothing to do with selection. It's just pure luck. Uh, Otherwise, selection is a big factor. So um, everything in the environment that uh, will impact survival of these animals will make them change. Absence of predators, a decrease in competition between uh, species or within species, all that sort of stuff. And another factor you were looking at in your paper was how adaptive plasticity affected the rates of evolution. First of all, in what way are these tiger snakes plastic? So tiger snakes are usually found on the mainland in Australia. They're basically a semi-aquatic species. They feed on frogs and small skinks and they live in swamps. What happened about 10,000 years ago, the sea level rose and this created some islands by isolated populations of these snakes. Now, the problem is on these islands, there are usually no uh, fresh water, there's no frogs, there's no small skinks, 
And so these snakes had to deal with much larger prey than their staple diet. And these prey were mainly seabirds, chicks, and rats, and mice, and also larger species of skinks. So this put tremendous selective pressure on their swallowing abilities. If their head is not big enough to swallow prey, it will simply starve to death. So there's two ways for snakes to be able to swallow prey. It can either be born with a very large head, and everything will be fine, or it can be born with the ability to increase the growth rate of its jaws in response to the size of prey it encounters. So in, in other words, if it encounters a bigger prey, it will increase the growth rate of its jaws so that to produce a bigger, a bigger head, and by then it will be able to swallow this prey. So hang on, these snakes stretch their face on a piece of prey too large to swallow, then go hungry but are like, hang on, I need to grow my head bigger for next time. Very much so. In fact, they, a snake would probably would have several attempts at, at swallowing a prey that is obviously much bigger. I mean, way too big for him. It will probably try to swallow it for half an hour, an hour, and then eventually get reach a point where it goes, no, it's too big, and regurgitate the prey. But I think if it, if it does this a few times, it, eventually its body will understand, so to speak, that um, yeah, they need a bigger head. And so are the levels of plasticity constant across all the islands? Actually, we just found out that on all islands, so to speak, islands that have been colonized a longer time than 6,000 years ago, all the way dating back to 9,000 years ago, plasticity is actually not detectable in those animals. How we know this is because we exposed uh, young baby snakes to different sized prey in the lab from different islands. And in the older uh, isolated populations, the snakes do not react to larger prey. So they will not develop larger heads when they're exposed to large prey. On the other hand, we tested this on um, younger populations, and these snakes were able to expand the size of their head in response to uh, prey size, which means that plasticity is a very important character in newly colonized environment, but it is somehow lost after a certain time in um, longer isolated islands. Okay, and you mentioned in your paper that the reason for this might be that once plasticity itself has set evolution in the right direction towards this optimal phenotype, it then becomes a relatively costly trait to have. Basically, yes, plasticity comes at a cost. That means that a baby that is born with a large body size and a large head will have a better chance at swallowing large prey if it's exposed to large prey. On the other hand, we know that a baby that is born small but is able to produce a large head via plasticity will also succeed in swallowing this prey. But the difference is it's going to take a while for the baby to grow a large head and this lag time will um, allow the other snake, the one that's born with a large head, to grow a little bit better, a little bit faster during this lag time, which means it will attain uh, sexual maturity earlier and reproduce and so on. So it has a fitness advantage towards the plastic solution. And so what is the link between isolation time and the rate of evolution? Okay, so I think the best thing to do is to um, imagine an island and a small population of snakes colonizing this island. So you have to remember these guys come from the mainland, so they produce small young and the small snakes as adults. But these snakes are exposed to very large prey. So we've got a problem. Let's say if they're not plastic and small, they're doomed. They will die no matter what. But a small proportion of these animals are plastic. So they will be able to increase the size of their head and make it to the next reproductive event. On the other hand, you also have in this uh, small population of, of young snakes, some that are born slightly larger than their mates. 
and these guys will also make it. So what I'm saying, there's a dual selection acting on, on these young snakes. There's selection for plasticity, but selection will also favor animals that are larger at birth. And so by combining these two sources of selection, I think the effect is an acceleration of the evolution of body size because these um, animals that have these two characteristics will quickly invade the population, reproduce amongst each other, and so on. And the reason that we see less plasticity on the older islands then is because this optimal phenotype, a large head to match large prey, eventually becomes canalized or genetically assimilated, as you say in your paper. That's right, that's right. The thing is, after um, a certain amount of time, probably a few generations, um, animals are born big enough, so they are actually they do better than the animals that are plastic. And so selection for larger size will eventually outperform the plasticity solution because, as I said before, plastic is good, but it takes time to, to, to get bigger via plasticity. Do you think that lots of examples of accelerated evolution happen this way, starting off with phenotypic plasticity? Oh, most definitely, yes. I don't think this is a question anymore in the uh, research world. We now know that adaptive plasticity as a trait is uh, beneficial for um, colonizing novel environments. That's an established fact, I think, now. So do you think that adaptive plasticity is a trait that's going to be useful for animals facing changing environments in the face of climate change? Yeah, most definitely. You have to remember that plasticity is also behaviour. So any change in behaviour that you can have is plasticity, and that's obviously um, very important in, in the face of climate change. That was Fabian Albrecht. We know that inbreeding is detrimental to individual fitness, and as humans continue to transform the modern landscape, many species are at risk of inbreeding as a result of being forced into increasingly small and isolated populations. One of the many individual traits affected by inbreeding is the ability to cope with environmental stress, extremes of temperature being a key example. Animals have developed several mechanisms to deal with temperature stress, and one important one is called the heat shock response. Heat shock proteins are activated in the face of different kinds of environmental stress and act to preserve the function of other proteins in the animal. Christine Franke from the University of Griefwald in Germany asked the question, could inbreeding be affecting the heat shock response in butterflies? And if so, could this explain why inbred individuals are less resilient to environmental stress? Here's Christine. I think there are a lot of evidence in the wild and also in the laboratory populations that inbreeding have negative effects of, for example, fitness-related traits like fecundity or fertility or also lifespan. Now, you were looking in this paper at the effect of environmental stress on inbred individuals. What is the link between inbreeding and the environment? Environmental conditions are not constant, and because of that, organisms have to deal with, for example, temperature stress, also humidity stress and there are mechanisms to deal with this and these mechanisms could be affected due to inbreeding. And it was specifically temperature as an environmental stress that you were looking at in this paper. How do organisms deal with temperature stress? Organisms have a lot of mechanisms to deal with temperature stress, for example the heat shock response Heat shock proteins are in every organism and are really important to deal with stress like temperature stress or also chemicals 
UV radiation. They act like chaperones that are proteins which help other proteins to uh, refolding or alignment or also synthesis. So these heat shock proteins basically just buffer against the, the negative effects of temperature stress. Uh-huh. High temperature is really dangerous for organisms because proteins can get denaturated and because of that they need protections and heat shock response gets activated under high temperatures to protect the cells or the proteins. So you set out in this paper to test the heat shock response on a tropical butterfly under different temperatures and crucially in different levels of inbreeding. Uh-huh. Inbreeding affects a lot of traits. We wanted to know if this also affects the heat shock proteins response. This could explain why inbred individuals are more susceptible to environmental stress than outbred individuals. We tested three different inbreeding lines, one outbred line, and afterwards we mated for one generation a brother and sister, and for another generation we did two generations of full set mating. Tell me about the butterflies that you tested the heat shock response in. We use the fruit and tropical butterfly by Cyclus aninana. It's a butterfly we took from Malawi in Africa. We took this study organism for our experiments and two hours before we froze the butterflies, we exposed butterflies to three different temperatures, to one degree, 27 degree and 39 degree. And after we froze them, we measured the HXP expression in the laboratory. We took the RNA and we transformed the RNA in cDNA, all in the laboratory with kits. And the cDNA were used for the qPCR. In the outbred individuals, how did the temperature affect the expression of HSP70? We found a high expression from HXP70 at the high temperature, followed by 1 and followed by 27 degree. That means that HXP70 expression is very, very high under high temperature conditions. Okay. And the more fascinating result then was that the inbred individuals were less good at upregulating this protein. Yeah. We found downregulation of heat shock proteins in inbred individuals under the high temperature conditions. So the inbred individuals were less good at upregulating this, this HSP70 under higher temperatures. What does this tell you? This could explain why inbred individuals are susceptible to temperature stress or to environment stress in general because they do not or they can't activate that mechanism to protect themselves. Were the temperatures and the levels of inbreeding ecologically realistic in this experiment? I do think yes. We did not use a, a really high inbreeding conditions and also the high temperatures take place in Malawi in Africa easily and okay, the low temperature maybe not <laughs> but we need also to do a really low temperature to induce a stress. And 27 degrees is also temperature that easily took place in Malawi. 
So we can say in this species at least that interference in the heat shock response might be the cause for this reduced fitness in stressful environments for inbred individuals. Yeah, exactly. That was Kristin Franke. And that's it for this episode. Join us again next month for a fresh instalment of the Heredity Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 